Hello and welcome to Brain Trust Live number 446. This week on the podcast, in great news, Dr. Oz will not be a United States Senator from Pennsylvania or his home state of New Jersey. And Nancy Pelosi retires and takes up the mantle for glizzy gladiators everywhere. Plus, West Hollywood says no to Corey Matthews. And Donald Trump is demoted to a Florida man meme by the New York Post. Plus, the Senate ends the COVID emergency amid an exciting new COVID emergency. And West Virginia defunds the police by way of a giant sinkhole. We'll have all this and more. This is Brain Trust Live. Hey y'all, I'm Brent. I'm Lila, and you can find us on the web at www.braintrustlive.com. We are back. You can finally find us on the internet on a yeah. podcast that we do called Brain and Trust you, Live. <laughs> and you know what? Look, maybe you thought we were going to do a podcast last week because there was an election the week before. But we but didn't. Also, but we didn't. Also, it was your birthday. That's Happy right. belated birthday. Thank you. And also, we're going to be counting votes in California until I think, what is it, December 9th or something like I was that? Say, so, like, there's we're, we're no point. still. We're still having election season here, so I don't know where you are, friends, but <laughs> we, we haven't counted half the votes in California yet. So. And we're already having to deal with newscasters and newspapers <laughs> oh reporting God. results as if they know anything yeah, we'll in races that, in a, that are going to flip. Yeah, it's so annoying. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh boy. you know, we're reporting to you from the earliest possible date it makes sense to record a <laughs> podcast about the election results in California. <laughs> right. But with that said, we are going to start with the national news, which is yeah. that there was no red wave as... As, first of all, as promised by me to everyone in America, people kept calling me before the election to be like, aren't you worried? And I was kind of like, not really. And everyone wanted me to be worried. People love when I'm worried because then they can worry. I know. People were texting me on election night, just like nonstop. I was here watching election results with Brent and we were just fielding nonstop phone calls from people being like, what's happening? And us being like, nothing. It's Nothing's happening. Oh, I've spent the weeks leading up to that and certainly the day of telling people to just be prepared to be drowning the sorrows. <laughs> no, Brent had been like in a real... Brent, had, Brent and I had taken very different approaches to this election, in part because... So I had been interested to notice that my parents didn't seem that concerned. And like, if there's any group of people that. that like to be reactionary and panicked about an election, it's my parents. They'll often call me on election night before a single vote has been counted and be like, well, we lost. We're going to bed because we lost. They, they did that to me on the, the um, election in 2018 where Democrats like ran the table. They called yeah. me that night and said, it's all over, went to bed, and woke up the next morning to a very different it's world. It's because the Nordstroms and I have been paying too much attention to all the emails that we're getting from the Democrats that, right. were, that were telling us the world was ending. Meanwhile, I had been, I, I went on a fierce stop to quit rampage <laughs> right before the election and didn't read one word of any election email after that, after that election email that I got with Adam Schiff's bar mitzvah photo. I was just oh, like, yeah. I'm out. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> this is refused uh, by me forever. We're going to get to that. Motherfucker in a second. We sure are. <laughs> By the way. So as it stands now, we lost the house. We knew we'd lose the house. We didn't lose it by the kind of margin that makes you cry, though. And no. the other nice thing about losing the house, I'm, I'm not usually someone who's like a doomsday just in case it blows everything up type of person. But I do think that going into an election year when you have a close house, it's a lot better if the opposition party has the house because then you can blame them for nothing getting done. <laughs> I know. Lila was like, this is going to be great because now the Democrats can continue to just do nothing, which was their plan. Was, that was always <laughs> going to be what they were going to do. Right. And now they can blame it on someone else. That's right. And I have to take a little bit of credit because I think I was the first person in America on election <laughs> night to say what would be really great yes. is if it was so narrow that Kevin McCarthy's life 
will be a living, breathing hell for the next two years and will also be a delight for me to watch with my eyeballs. I, and that is what looks like it's really going to happen. Yes. Um, and that's a delight. That's a delight. And also, I hadn't even been thinking that big until Brent said that. Like, <laughs> I was just sitting around like, it'll be great when it's super close. No one will get to do anything. Right, and yet just, we'll blame yeah. the Republicans for nothing happening. And then, you know, that's easier going into a presidential year to be like, we would have loved to get you health care. But we oh, just couldn't because of tears, tears, tears. <laughs> you know, those, those sad Republicans don't want you to live. But... Um, <laughs> so don't want you to live. But I hadn't even thought about the entertainment potential of watching Kevin McCarthy just like fight for his life with a bunch of like full crazies, yeah. you know, in his coalition trying to figure out how to, you know, scrounge up like seven votes to become the majority leader, even though he is currently the head of the Republican caucus. Yeah, no, they don't care. It's going to be so great. <clears throat> um, but it looks like, honestly, this was driven, the Democrats doing really well was driven by like huge turnout and huge margins with 18 to 29 year olds. So God bless them. Now, it's unfortunate <laughs> because <laughs> I feel like it's so, what's so crazy is like two out of the three things that they probably voted specifically on uh, student loan cancellation and abortion, like within days after that, like the courts overturned Biden's student loan plan. And then Biden himself was like, by the way, we're not doing anything about abortion. Yep. So like shot to well, hell immediately. Welcome to American politics, friends, <laughs> like 18 year olds who voted in your first election because you wanted to defend abortion rights. Sorry. <laughs> I will say that I feel like one thing that seems to be lost by the pundit class that has been like a trend we've all been talking about and expecting for years. 2024 is when young votes start to outnumber boomer votes. Oh yeah. That is when millennials and Gen Z will outnumber boomers in the, you know, in the electorate. And so every single pundit was just like, look oh, at these youth word. turnout numbers. Where did they come from? Oh, and it's like God. they came from old people dying and young people turning of age. <laughs> just as math led us to anticipate. <laughs> what are we talking about here? Like and then then they were all like, "Can you believe the polls were this wrong?" Yes, I can believe <laughs> right. the polls well, were that always. wrong. The polls have been this wrong for years. And also, how are they contacting 18 to 29 year olds? Yeah, no. Well, were they calling them on their TikToks? Like, that's, <laughs> not, that's not, there's no, you know, Van Jones is sitting there on, you know, on election eve being like, we're going to have to really rethink pulling. Sir, we have been saying that for like 10 years. <laughs> no. He said it as if it had just occurred to him in a flash of brilliance. I was like, friend, you have said this and on every election eve for like all of the last decade. Why do you keep thinking that it's a new idea? Ugh. In any case. Here's, let me just preview 2024 for you. In 2024, there's going to be a shocking number of votes from young people because young people are going to be, coming, be becoming older people. There's going to be more young people than old people in 2024. Yeah. And that's where all the young votes are going to come from is the number of people. That's how voting works. So when you are suddenly sitting to yourself wondering, where did all these young voters come from? Uh-huh. They came from age. They came from turning of age. They came from generation sizes that we already have the numbers for. Right, we knew. We already knew. Yeah. In 2024, people are going to have to campaign to young voters because that's who voters are going to be. Yeah. You can't campaign to dead people. You can if you're the current Democratic Party <laughs> and much of the current Republican Party, but you shouldn't. Yeah. It's not the time. No. So in any case, listen. So the GOP kept the House by a very slim margin, and I think a lot of that margin can be laid at the feet of Jay Jacobs, New York State Democratic Chair, and a number of missteps made by the New York State Democrats. And it is being laid at his feet. As it, it's not being laid at his feet enough that he seems to be leaving, though. Like, I'm no. waiting for like a, an amount of laying yeah, right. that results in changes in leadership. Now, one really satisfying thing that happened is that Sean Patrick Maloney lost after pulling that maneuver right. on Mondaire Jones, on Mondaire beloved Jones. by everyone. Yep. 
he deserved to lose. Yeah. That that was the one district that I was like, flip that district. I do not want to see a Democrat representing that district if that Democrat is Sean Patrick Maloney patting himself on the back for taking over that seat yeah. from someone who should have run in well, that district. Well, and I think to a degree, he, especially if it's going to be just a couple seats, he's to blame for this also. Oh, totally. Because that, that seat shuffled that a bunch lost. of, and, and then also, also in New York 10. And right, and because also he forced more people into New York Ten, yeah. who then ended up splitting the you know yeah. the left vote. And there are also a lot of specifically uh, a person's name who is escaping me, but the the one who beat that last sort of like real far right moderate in their primary, I think it was like in Oregon or Washington mm. or whatever, and then got left high and dry by the D trip because they were so mad yes. that she and uh, she lost, I think, by like a handful of votes. She's a very long name that's hard to spell and so I'm blanking on it. But, but she there were, looks like Colby Smulders or whatever that actress is. Right, but there is. were other member yeah, there were other members of the left who won primary challenges yeah. who like got left high and dry by the D trip. Yes. Some of them won, you know, Summer Lee won, but yeah. thanks to no one but herself, essentially. That's right. Um no this but so there's something I want to talk about with the New York State results that I just feel like so that we don't suffer from a lack of imagination, which is really one of the bigger problems that the Democrats in New York State are having. The Democratic Party was in a little bit of a tizzy in part because the redistricting process there was really different than what we're used to, where we're used to similarly gerrymandered districts being gerrymandered in similar but new and exciting ways. (laughs) They did a slightly more impartial redistricting process. Was it perfect? Of course not. But when all is said and done, you know, I think Democrats sort of framed it as like they had lost a huge amount of ground in this redistricting process. So my mom, data lover that she apparently is these days in her retirement, (laughs) went in and looked at the enrollment figures in all of these districts and found that only three congressional districts in all of New York State have a majority Republican enrollment, which means that the Democrats, in terms of enrollment, Outnumber Republicans, and in most districts by huge margins. Should have won more seats than they did. In all but three congressional districts, those being Elise Stefanik's district, and then the the 21st, and then the 23rd and the 24th. And she lost, right? She won. Oh, she did win. Yeah. There is no... Those were districts that were all won by Republicans, but so was every district on Long Island. So was New York 19. New York 19 has more Democrats than Republicans. They act like it's a Republican district. Democrats run there like it's a Republican district. It's a Democratic district. That is true of most of the Long Island districts as well, Mm. except there's this sort of like idea that you know Long Island is a Republican stronghold and so people don't think to try yeah this is such a frustrating aspect of this story because I feel like you know it's one thing to you know decide that it's going to be difficult to run in a in a frontline marginal district where you don't have the resources but the New York State Democrats do have the resources they also have the fact that the entire state is Democratic so they have a huge amount of support that is willing to come up from outside of the state in order to work on these campaigns But most importantly, they have the fact that they own the enrollment figures at every level in the state. We're talking about a state where the governor only won by a tiny slim margin because she hadn't been seen by humans in like months. (laughs) We're talking about a state, though, where something like 49% of the registered voters are Democrats and and only like 22 are Republicans. Well, and I think she... She's to blame for some of this, too. She's to blame for some of this, too. Because obviously when you... You know, the person at the top of your state ticket is Kathy Hochul, you're not driving turnout. And she wasn't going and supporting those candidates. but. Guess for me how many Republicans we are sending in the congressional delegation well, too, from New York State. Too many. I saw already, so I'm not going to oh, guess fine. because I'm looking at our notes for the show. <laughs> Here's, the number, friends, is 11. Up from, I think, six or seven in the last, in yeah. the last um, under the last system yeah. where it couldn't have been more gerrymandered. Yeah. We tried. But, like, we're talking about a, a state where there are only three Republican congressional districts and we're sending 11 Republicans 
Uh, it's insane. That's and also, enough to make up for what's going to oh, yeah, be the sure. congressional difference. And correct me if I'm wrong, isn't part of this story also that the reason that you ended up with the map that you did was because there was a map that would have been even better for Democrats yeah. that got kicked back by some of the conservative judges that mm-hmm. were put in place by Andrew Cuomo with Correct. some of this deal-making with the whole... This is the whole, all sort of Cuomo this, legacy. It, it's Cuomo legacy. This is IDC-style bullshit. Yes, this right. is Democrats wanting to play ball with Republicans and not right. other Democrats. Right, this map got kicked back by conservative yes. judges that were placed by Andrew Cuomo. But even this map well, right. no, is I'm, a good map, Right, honestly. I was going to say, I don't... Yeah, yeah I'm no, not I'm just saying, to, But I mean, like, like, in terms of, like, it could have could been, been better. better. It but you been know better. how Democrats like to well, stop a good thing from happening if they can. But, like... This is really more so than anything else, like a failure of imagination, where it's like a lot of what happens in upstate New York is Democrats don't even try because they're like, oh, we're never going to win here. And it's like some of these are places where not only could they win, but they should win. (laughs) Right. My mom is railing on because she is about to be involved in trying to flip New York 19 for the fourth time in her lifetime. (laughs) The fourth time. That's a Democratic district. More Democrats. If it's flipped four times, if it's flipped three times, it's a Democratic district. <laughs> Democrats just don't run anyone of any interest there. They don't support those races. And then they're like, well, see, we can't win there. And it's like, yeah. well, if you would run someone, you could. Yeah. And but even 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 that, specifically, you can lay at the feet of Sean Patrick yeah. Maloney also. Because totally. he's running the whole operation for how the House, is, house races are being well, run. Well, and this also, that district in particular, I lay a lot of blame at the feet of Antonio Delgado. Because oh, he gave took, up his right. seat and forced a special election with different district boundaries. And right. because of that, basically... To take the, the most dead-end job ever created I mean, in the history of jobs. What a lame... Jobs. The lamest of jobs. In, in the lamest <laughs> of administrations. Like, get a grip <laughs> to everyone. And she thought that she was, like, going to be, you know... She was very clearly looking for a man of color to be in that seat. But the thing that she didn't seem to know she was looking for, that everyone in New York State knew she was looking for, was someone from fucking New York New City. New York City, obviously, right. Two upstaters running the state government? Get a grip. <laughs> Get out of here. So in any case, I lay some blame at his feet because in giving up that seat, he forced an incredibly yeah. confusing primary s- situation. Oh, right, where they had to vote for the, the whole The Democrat they, from 18 t- was running yeah. against the Republican from 19, and so there was a new Democrat who was physically interchangeable with the Democrat from 18, but less well-known and support, less well-supported yeah. running as the Democrat. So no one had heard of the guy. He was just yeah. some random guy. Yeah. In any case, New York State, what a mess. Um, everywhere else, great work to all. <laughs> Seriously, I know. Um, so... In the sort of process of all of these changes happening, we got to have some, we've got to have some leadership chaos on both sides. Yeah. There's, first of all, we mentioned the McCarthy leadership chaos where he was easily elected the GOP conference leader, but he doesn't know if he has the votes for speaker. And we're so excited to find out. I know. The the members of his own, of the Republican caucus are saying that he doesn't. I, yeah. I, and Rick Scott is claiming he's going to run, which is like. No, that's already been shut down, I think. Oh, has oh, that, that been that shut down McConnell. now? That, that was, he ran against McConnell. Oh, he ran against McConnell. But I mean, like, I think, like, that was quickly... That was quickly... McConnell's uh, got a Oh, right, a that was the McConnell vote, because, yeah, yeah McConnell yeah, yeah. did win his... Uh, he did. D- he became yeah. the speaker. No, yeah. so in any case, we had... Oh, it was um, Biggs who ran against him for speaker... I mean, uh, for uh, GOP conference leader. Conference leader. You guys, these guys have such boring names. I can't even... But, um, yeah, he, he ran against uh, McCarthy for GOP conference leader. He got about 31 votes. While that's not enough, obviously, to be the GOP conference leader, it is enough to make you concerned that there's a bit of a situation brewing when it comes to McConnell. I mean, not McConnell. <laughs> McCarthy. <laughs> yeah. Can we, listen, if there were people of other ethnicities running for these things, it would help, I think, just because they would not all <laughs> they be would like have different names. <laughs> somebody's names. 
Yeah. In well, any case. Right. And the way the, um, and just if you don't know, the way that you become Speaker of the House is you have to have the majority of the entire yeah. House. So like to become the leader of your own party, you only need a majority of your own right. party. Which right? is an easy thing so, to win. Exactly. So he won that. But now, because Republicans control the House, he needs a majority of the House. And if they only have a five or six seat majority, there are certainly enough... There's you know, five or six crazy. There's six there. Lauren Boeberts out there. By the That's way, right. she almost lost. Unfortunately, she ended up not losing. But yeah. um uh yeah, there's that many crazies to totally harpoon this whole operation. So um I mean I just can't wait. Well, I just can't wait. Yeah. <laughs> but then on the Democratic side, finally we have Nancy Pelosi stepping down. Yeah. Is she stepping down to appoint new leadership that we don't like? Sure. <laughs> sure. Is that what she's doing? Right. There Are progressives was... rallying around him for reasons completely unknown? I, I wanna like to me. I, I uh, wanna have like a pep talk with the Congressional Progressive Caucus just to be like, you guys, you are here. Well, they need to r- replace Pramila Jayapal, and I don't think that they're going to do that either. Yeah. But, um, but I, like, I don't even know who, like, I think she would have been a great speaker. Well, I she feel, was supposedly going to run for some sort of leadership yes. position and then chose not to. I think that they iced her out. Well, they, I'm, I mean, oh, they 100% like, they but I mean, I feel out. like that, I feel like there is some like, because the the way that they have stepped around Hakeem Jeffries, or have well, in lockstep around Hakeem Jeffries, who is couldn't be a less interesting choice. Well, and also awful. I mean, and truth awful. be told, like I I don't let's let's not beat around the bush. Right. <laughs> I mean, certainly not interesting. But I mean, like you know, uh, let's get into it because like, yeah. Well, the first thing to get into, I think, is that Adam Schiff, who had been sort of rumored to be in the mix here, is not seeking a leadership position for reasons that infuriate us. Well, listen. The only reason, the 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 way that it was worded was something that he wasn't going to seek um, a leadership position because he was going to start, um, you know, looking into a Senate run. And I think everybody sort of thought that he was probably going to run for Dianne Feinstein's Senate yeah. seat. But you can be in House leadership and run for the Senate. Sure can. So that immediately led everyone to thinking that, oh... Feinstein is just going to retire in the next couple of years. Well, she already said she was going to. Potentially in the lame duck. Yeah. Right? I think she's retiring at the end of this year. She's she already is. announced that. Yeah. She has? Yeah, I think so. I don't. She has? I think so. What? You guys, let's do a little fact check. There oh was at God. least talk about that a few months ago, before, like long before the election. Oh, I don't think that she has. Well, we'll find out soon enough. In um, any case, I think there is a rumor that is a real fact and not a rumor that Adam right. Schiff is basically going to be appointed to finish out her term. Right. And, and that's gross because first of all, we already have a senator from California who we did not elect essentially. Right. Well, now we have. Which I now we have. But no, I mean, but I mean but he we was didn't the choose him. No one's right. running against him, him right. really exactly. because that's he was what, incumbent. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, and that's we don't need two senators. No. First of all, we're a state that used to have two female senators and now we're going to just have two random guys being our senator. Yeah. So like already I'm mad about that. Second of all, there was already the sort of pressure on Gavin Newsom to appoint a black woman to be the senator, given right. that that was promised to us back when, you know, Kamala Harris stepped out right. and Padilla was uh, appointed. It's not fair for the largest state in the country that already has the least voice per voter per capita of anyone in the Senate to have two senators who they did not get to primary. Yeah, that's what makes me so mad about this. Because do I wish Feinstein... Or to select do, do I wish Dianne Feinstein would be out of my sight? Of course. Forever? A hundred percent. But also, she committed to doing her best to try and die in office. Yeah. So you don't get to retire. You have to stick it out, lady. I'm yeah. sorry. You stay there until 2024. If you have to be carted around by people not knowing where you're at or what you're voting on or where you are, 
I don't give a shit. Yeah. I, if you want to go play with your grandkids, I'm, you should have thought about that in 2018. That's right. You got to hang in there. Yeah. No, I, no matter what. And let me vote on a senator. And look, Adam Schiff would probably win that election as much as that pains me. People like Adam Schiff for reasons that are... I couldn't tell you. He's my congressperson. I wouldn't be able to explain wouldn't to you why people like him. Wouldn't win an election if I was the voter, but so, <laughs> we do our best. Uh, I That really makes me mad. Yeah. No, <laughs> I don't know it's how infuriating. Else to put it. It's also just like, it's frustrating because the voters of this state are not moderate Democrats. No, And so means- for us to be constantly scuttled in our attempts to have representation that actually accurately represents our values, I will say, for as much as Kamala Harris is not a progressive, and for as much as Kamala Harris is somebody who frustrates me to no end politically, Kamala Harris had the most progressive voting record in the Senate, and that was an accurate representation of the voters of the state of California. And I don't think that Adam Schiff, a former blue dog, would be able to live up to that no, legacy. No, he's not going to. No. And Diane Feinstein, I mean, who knows what her legacy has been or going to be at this point, because it's like <laughs> her legacy currently is not knowing where she is most of the time. I know. So, ugh. In any case, that I think I can't find it either. That must have just been a rumor that I heard. Uh, but I, there was a lot of discussion a few months ago about her yeah. retiring at the end of this term. Yeah. Or at the end of this year. At the end of the year. Um, yeah. During and I the think, lame duck, I think. And this this shift not it, seeking leadership position. Is, the only reason that he would not seek a leadership position if he was literally going to have to be a senator, like soon. Yes. Because otherwise, like he could have a leadership position and then for the next run two years. for the next two years, and then and it would probably be good for him also because yeah. then he could be like, I'm running for senate and I'm the leader of the X Y Z, you know, brigade, uh, brigade <laughs> and the, you know, like whatever whatever leadership position he would have, yeah. you know, like so it doesn't make any sense that he would use not running for leadership in regard to whether he was or wasn't going to run yeah. for senate or not. It's because he's about to be a senator because he's about to be appointed senator. Yeah. No, this, um, the other thing that we learned in the midst of all of this is that Nancy Pelosi eats a hot dog every day for lunch. <laughs> the reporting about her stepping down has been a real wild adventure. Yeah. Can you imagine Nancy Pelosi every day with relish sitting on it. down to eat a hot dog with relish every single day? Or just one day? I can't even imagine it on a single day. Well, I can now imagine it only because of the way that I saw her rip into that Slim Jim. <laughs> oh, my God. I forgot about the Slim Jim. You're right. Yeah. This makes perfect sense. <laughs> also, it makes perfect sense that a Slim Jim was her go-to snack in a crisis when she's a hot dog lover. I was going to say, yeah, she likes her she likes her cured meats. Yeah, I guess so. She loves salt, obviously. Well, I can appreciate that. In any case, that <clears throat> image makes me chuckle sort of in a permanent way. So yeah. that is exciting. Yeah. But let's talk a little bit about Hakeem Jeffries, who we've known was going to be kind of like the sort of was being positioned to be the next in line yeah. and has been for quite a while. Yeah. Um, because of his positioning, he's been able to get into bed with every corporate interest in All time to take on this position. Yeah. And in fact... So he's worse than he even was at the beginning. Right. And one of the... One of the reasons that he got in bed with all of these corporate lobbyists, besides the fact that he is one of the most well-funded corporate lobbyist candidate or uh, uh, corporate con- candidates, yeah, can- uh, yeah, um, was because last year he started a pack called Team Blue with a uh, conservative Democrat uh, Josh Gottheimer, who we I all mean, know and hate, right? And that was asshole. formed specifically to protect Democratic incumbents from progressive challengers. Yeah, um, funded entirely by corporate lobbyists. Yeah, he's uh, real Blue. worried about progressive challengers, more worried than he seems to be about Republican challengers. Yes. Yeah. Um, he once said, there will never be a moment where I bend the knee to hard left democratic socialism. Uh, I mean, this, this is a guy who like leans into the Republican talking points about the left. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, he really sort of like helped 
you know, kill Build Back Better last year. I mean, right. for all intents and purposes. I mean, he was really out, one of the lead people out there railing against the left when they were trying to not disconnect those two bills, right? right? Um, but he's always talking about the extreme left, uh, you know, but he's like, takes a bunch of money from Wall Street also. He also um, is one of the few Democrats who takes money from Fox News and News Corp. Yep. So. He's vehemently pro-Israel, and he supported legislation that would penalize companies and Americans that boycott or that support the boycott, divestment, and um, sanctions movement. Also, this is like a real conundrum because one thing that I had not even thought about, and is I think for on this issue in particular, kind of an issue is it's gonna this is gonna mean that both House and Senate leadership are Brooklyn representatives, mm. and that makes it really complicated on the Israel front because the country is yeah. not with. Them. them on this. Yeah. And even New York is not really with them on this anymore. This is sort of an old line New York stance that, you know, this is a this is an issue where like when I was growing up in New York, you couldn't be anything but vehemently pro-Israel. But this is outdated at this point. This is not how people in New York City feel. It's not how people <clears throat> nationally feel. And it's going to be annoying when the entire government's leadership is Brooklyn reps who are in a sort of outdated version of this, of this conversation. Yeah. I mean, that's frustrating. Yeah. I mean, and I saw somebody do some reporting on this that I thought was sort of interesting <clears throat> because they were talking about Pelosi and, you know, people have talked about sort of like, you know, her move to the right over the years. You know, she's been yeah. there forever and she used to be a single pair person and all of this. And while I don't know that I necessarily agree with this assessment She was always entirely, wealthy and she was always in bed with wealthy interests. Right, exactly. But, but there are people who would say, well, her move to the right as speaker was in some part out of necessity because she needed to take stake out more moderate claims to be able to like, you know, get the whole caucus in line to be able to like move all of this legislation that she needed the entire caucus. She for. is a very smart and, tactician. Right. And while I could maybe quibble with that, yeah. I get that. Hakeem Jeffries is coming from the is, right. Is right. Is seems to be going after the left for sport. Whereas Pelosi did it sort of like out of necessity and was no, you know, great champion of the mo- the modern left really, right. but Hakeem Jeffries is really just like out there being a dick to the left, f- just for good fun. It seems well, like, and this is and- also not where the party is right now. It's not right. where their voters are, and it's certainly not where their new voters are coming from. No. So like, this is weird timing. To like, I can see how you know being the speaker kind of forces you into more moderate space. I can see how someone like Nancy Pelosi who again was coming from a money background but was a socially progressive democrat right. when she came into office, you know, sort of staked out positions slightly farther to the right to bring the caucus in. She's a very smart tactician. She delivers votes when she says she's going to deliver votes. Yeah. You know, like we we have, you know, talked quite a bit about her ability to be effective when she wants to be effective. Um, I feel like this is slightly different because we are bringing in the, the sort of old guard molded young new thing at a time when the other young, he's like the Pete Buttigieg of Congress. Totally. He's what old Democrats think a young Democrat should look like. But he's not actually representing young Democrats in any way, shape or form. He's not connected to young Democrats. And doesn't want to be. A petty point that I have to make that is also part of my mom's data research of late, <laughs> and this might mean nothing or it might mean everything. Um, he's also, he was one of the lower vote getters in the New York State delegation. Uh-huh. So, you know, he was not overwhelmingly elected in his district. Now, maybe there was something else going on in his district. I don't know what the, you know, I, I haven't looked into the uh, makeup of his district's voters, yeah. so maybe it's a slightly more conservative district. But like, not one of the overwhelmingly popular Democrats, even in his own state and own district. So. Yeah. Um, that might just be a petty point that I wanted to throw in there because I don't like him and I never have. Yeah. But in any case, he's 
Pete Buttigieging. He's yeah. and and he predates Pete Buttigieg, so he, Pete Buttigieg is actually Hakeem Jeffries. <laughs> but like, he is somebody who has been his entire political career molding himself for leadership without really responding to the political realities of the moment. And because of that, he seems like he's like lost in time a little bit. Yeah. He's a '90s Democrat yeah. in two, in 2022. Yeah. Well, that's what I mean. He's like <clears throat> he's going to be like uh, you know tweeting out Hillary memes and she warned us nonsense until like the end of days that's right like uh, that's and like who, that's i don't know where is. they're gonna find this majority of young voters who are gonna be their del you know their their no. voting demographic in I the know. next election when someone like him is antagonizing the things that they care about the most right you know the entire time like that's i know it's dumb planning it's dumb planning in, in the words <sighs> of someone who doesn't have a lot of words <laughs> um sure. let's talk about the senate yeah. so we talked a little bit about mcconnell back when the mccarthy mcconnell uh tongue twister era of this podcast began but um (laughs) but we kept the senate so that's good news yeah thanks john fetterman yep um whose margin is now looking like pretty decent like john fetterman did not just skate by oh he and um uh what's his name josh shapiro who won in a landslide mostly because he was running against a fake person who like had essentially stopped campaigning doug mastriano (laughs) uh and was uh, too nutty to hold truly really any office um and but uh i think they both outperformed biden they did, yeah. yeah. And Fetterman, I think, in particular, there were some lessons to learn from him because he made a big deal about going to rural Republican districts and cutting the margins. Yep. And I think That's people exactly forget that in statewide office, the number of votes you get is the important thing. <laughs> right. So like cutting the margins is meaningful because it's you getting votes. Even if yeah. you don't win that district, yeah. it doesn't mean that the votes don't count towards your vote total. Yeah. So I think it also gives you a chance to lay the groundwork for what democratic politics and messaging could and should look like in those districts so that you can help support Democrats on the ground there. Because as I've just railed about in New York State, a lot of, you know, a lot of times when Democrats lose, it's because of a failure of imagination and not really because of failure of possibility. So I think Fetterman, you know, showed that that was incredibly effective because he was outperforming Biden everywhere. Yeah. And that includes in deep red places where he was, you know, sort of perceived as far to Biden's left, essentially, politically. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it probably helps that Dr. Oz is like not a real credible person <laughs> and is from New Jersey. But right. if that's what it takes, that's what it takes. I know. That um, was, I feel like that was my favorite stat from election night was when they showed the, um, they asked the, in the exit polls, they asked the Pennsylvania voters two questions. And one of them was, uh, is Fetterman's health good enough to represent the people of Pennsylvania in the Senate? And it was like 50-50, like yes right. and no, right? And then the other one was, is Dr. Oz being from New Jersey, does that like disqualify him from being the, the senator from Pennsylvania? And it was like 60 to 40, yes, it did. Right. People, people were way more worried that Dr. Oz was from Pennsylvania than they were that John Fetterman had had a stroke. I heard also that there were polls that showed that Fetterman actually got a bump after that abysmal debate performance because people just didn't like Dr. Oz. Oh. It was like Fetterman well, looked let, like he didn't know what was going on and Dr. Oz looked like an asshole. Well, Dr. Oz also in that debate said that it should be local politicians who get to make uh, right. choices for, you know, women's right. bodily autonomy. So um. I, he sure did. <laughs> yeah. A doctor. He's a doctor, by the way, <laughs> right. you guys. In yeah. any case. Um, so we, one of the last calls that helped us decide that we had secured the Senate was Nevada. So Catherine Cortez Masto snuck by, by the skin of her teeth. Embarrassing considering Harry Reid's machine is falling apart apparently because that's a state where 
the Democratic Senate race should not have been that close. No. Um, well, I would contend also. I mean, like, look, she was actually, I think, the only Democrat <clears throat> that won statewide. I think they lost a lot of yeah, races they, no, statewide. They, they, so, they, like, their Democratic Party's in shambles, though. Yeah, it is. And it's in part because the Harry Reid machine and the Bernie machine are like at war with each other. Well, that's and what so I was going to say. I mean, no... I think in part, I mean, we know some of the at least, you know, presidential primaries that have happened in Nevada. Yeah. And I, I would contend that, like, perhaps. Catherine Cortez Mastro is just actually out of step as yeah. a Democrat with, with, with what the, the mainstream of her own them. party in that state. Also, that state is so politically confusing. So CWA, the Culinary Workers Union, does a lot of like canvassing and get out the vote stuff, and w- especially with their own members. And so a lot of the, you know, when Democrats win, it's often attributed to them. CWA is also one of the only unions that's against Medicare for all. Mm. CWA has like weird politics. So like, what the fuck is Nevada? <laughs> I don't know. Like, what is that place? But anyway, she eked it out. Yeah. And then a a scene that is not getting reported on a ton because it's really a race between two Republicans, um, but is interesting, is the Alaska race. So Alaska has switched to ranked choice voting. And so we're waiting forever. Oh, so did Nevada. And so did Nevada. You're right. So... So a lot of the just now, not in, not right. in this election, they but they just, just voted they had to, a ballot proposition so to change to. This was Alaska's first round with ranked choice in a big election a big like Senate this race. in a big Senate, yeah. yeah. Um, and so this is like the first time that we're having this kind of slow rolling result from Alaska. But Murkowski had a Republican challenger. There was a Democrat in the race who got about ten percent of the vote. There's right. two Republicans who you know one is Murkowski and they were basically running neck and neck for the entire first count but we haven't even gotten to the second count yet Murkowski just pulled ahead this woman cannot catch a break <laughs> but and she most people think she's going to win because obviously the Democrat probably the Democrats put her ranked put her two her they did not yeah. rank the conservative no. Republican second but this is a really interesting race it's just that the outcome is meaningless if you're a Democrat um, but worth following because I think ranked choice voting being the wave of the future is going to be coming to your state and you're going to want to know what it feels like to have yeah. to wait two weeks for your results because you have to count all these votes individually. <laughs> We're talking about Alaska where like 17 people live. So like <laughs> no. imagine what ranked choice is going to look like in California. In California it's going to be amazing. I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> We're going to be counting for the rest of our lives. Oh boy. So the only outstanding business here is Georgia. And yeah. I had a similar amount of optimism about this special election in Georgia that people seem to be telling me is unwarranted and that's fine. Let me be optimistic if I want. Um, yeah. I... So, you know, Herschel Walker and um, Raphael Warnock Warnock. are going to a runoff. Uh They both... Warnock slightly ahead. Warnock slightly ahead in the final count, but only by a point. Nobody got to 50, and there was a libertarian who got about 2% of the vote um, in the mix there. So I have been saying that I think that the more attention that's focused on this race nationally, the more embarrassing it becomes for Republicans, the less likely it is. Because, you know, Warnock... uh, uh, Walker was running behind the other statewide Democrats there, um... He was running behind Kemp. Kemp won easily. Yeah. You know, oh, so, let's say by Republicans. I mean, say by Republicans yes, there. Right, Sorry. Yeah. He was running again. Uh, he was running way behind the other statewide Republicans there. And so I think that there's a chance that it's like maybe you went to the polls and you wanted to vote for Kemp and then you decided to maybe vote for Raphael Warnock because you were there. <laughs> and now you're going to have to drag yourself to the polls just to, to vote, vote for, Rafa, for, for, for um, Herschel Walker. Sorry, Herschel Walker. I'm, the, the two W's has been driving my brain <laughs> crazy. Walker, I'm yeah. having Fair issues enough. with names today. Um, but so I just, a world in which you are specifically making a special trip to the polls to vote for Herschel Walker yeah. feels like a different world than one where you're voting for all your favorite Democratic, I, damn, God damn it, <laughs> your favorite Republican friends. And then you also voted for Herschel Walker because you were there and you felt weird about it, but you did it. Yeah. Like I just... 
I don't see a world in which that's as exciting and a prospect yeah. as voting for Raphael yeah. Warnock, who everyone in America agrees seems like a very decent guy. Yeah, I agree too. And 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 also, you know, it was the it was the the anti-Trump Republicans or the ones who have fashioned themselves as such anyway, who really did well in Georgia, right? Yeah. And so I also think that now that that Trump has announced, which we'll get to, you know, that in a second, but like I think this becomes more of a, you know, a Trump election in Georgia, which people were specifically trying to avoid. I think there were people yes. who were supposedly people were trying to get Trump to wait until after the special election was over to announce because they think that it jeopardizes it. And I think they're right actually yeah. because no, I agree. because I think that there will now also be and I think if Warnock is smart, and I think he is, will do his best to really tie those two together. And and there will be new there will be newfound fear over Herschel Walker knowing that he's a Donald Trump candidate and Donald Trump is running for president. Again. Yeah, and also that Donald Trump is currently on the outs with the entire Republican establishment, which is something <laughs> we're going to get to later. Um, yeah. Like this is an awkward time to be in his camp. Yeah, exactly. But before we get to that, let's talk briefly about the state level races because Democrats fucking killed it at the state level. Yeah. Um. So. Part, you know, what always happens on election night is that Florida's results come in first and Florida is on their own journey. And <laughs> so every time that Florida results come in, look, sometimes that's great news. Sometimes yeah. they do okay. Sometimes yeah. they don't. Nobody knows what's going on with Florida. Um, yeah. And so they came in, they went heavily Republican in these elections. I know. In, and so in people, places that haven't been for yes. a really long time. Sort of alarming. Sort but of I mean, like, alarming. To the point where statewide, it's probably at least for a minute time to like regroup and maybe like not send whoever the Senate candidate is, Not $100 million. Exactly. Because Florida, it, it ain't going to happen. A true mess right now. <clears throat> but also, like I said, a state that's on its own journey. <laughs> right. So Florida results came in. Everyone panicked instantly. And yeah. then it was like the rest of the night was like, Democrats winning everywhere. And everyone was like, what the hell is going on in Florida? And the answer is nobody knows. What's happening in Florida? Who can say? Nobody who's not in Florida could possibly explain to you what, what Florida is. So ignoring Florida, at the state level, we gained a ton in a million other places. First yeah. of all, we Carrie Lake lost in Arizona. Um, so you know, the Katie Hobbs was declared the winner a couple days ago. Lake has not conceded. Whatever. LOL. Um, but that state is now under Democratic control. She did go to Mar-a-Lago, though. Oh, thank God. <laughs> yeah. That's a relief. In Michigan, <clears throat> Democrats flipped both the House and the Senate. Gretchen Whitmer won by double digits. So their yeah. whole state government has flipped. Yeah. And again, very much uh, in a swing state. Uh, way overperforming Joe Biden. Way overperforming. Yeah. In Minnesota, Democrats won both the House, the Senate, and governorship. Um, they Democrats held both chambers in Colorado, in Maine, in Nevada, in Oregon. These are all states that have kind of uh, edgy, related, frontline relationships to Republicanism. Yeah. If you oh, will. yeah, for sure. No, um, they absolutely do. Yeah. We held the governor's seats in New Mexico, in Maine, and that was Paula Page was trying to make a return there, so thank uh -huh. God. And also in Michigan, like I said, but also. Um, won back governorships in Maryland and Massachusetts. Yep. Those were open seats, but they had been vacated by Republicans. Um, in Wisconsin, Democrats blocked the Republicans from getting a supermajority because they could have then overridden yep. the uh, the uh, veto uh, of the Evers. abortion ban. Tony yeah. Evers. Uh, and, and he won. And he won, right. He won. Tony Evers. Yeah. Um, in North Carolina, they also <clears throat> slimly avoided a, a, a supermajority, a GOP supermajority. In Pennsylvania, the Democrats are now just one seat away from flipping the state house. Um, they took back the, a bunch of seats in the New Hampshire state house. And there were a bunch of groups like the States Project that basically like went in this year in what is finally us looking like maybe we understand how Republicans have been doing this the whole time yeah. and like went and focused on state level races. Yeah. You know, that's something that we talked about that with Amanda Littman when she came on the podcast, uh, the importance of kind of focusing on local races because that's how you build a bench and that's how you develop the kind yeah. of national level politics that, <clears throat> you know, you hope to see. And so 
it sounds like some groups actually like bit the bullet and did it this (laughs) time and it surprise it worked yeah and considering how lame so many people on the top of the ticket were it helped support the top of the ticket i think people think that only the top of the ticket can support the bottom of the ticket and a lot of the time the bottom of the ticket can in when you have like lame people running for senate or lame people running whatever the bottom of the ticket can actually pull up the top of the ticket if you invest in those races totally local races matter not just because local politics matters but also because that's how you insure yourself you like indemnify yourself against idiots running for office who are boring when you have (laughs) interesting people somewhere on the ballot so in Um, any case also um that was good uh every state that had abortion on the ballot came down on the side of protecting a woman's right to choose i this we should be putting more of those on the ballot in 2024 everywhere anywhere they can i mean because it passed in in kentucky exactly no people don't want this and this yeah. is also an issue where it frustrates me that Democrats cannot, because they've been so far up their own ass on this issue, trying to like cater to Republican voters, they have not thought about how to frame this issue in a way that caters to Republican voters without cater without uh, making their talking points legitimate. Hmm. So like, I think that was what was so interesting about the Kansas vote, which was a few months ago, of course, but like the Kansas vote figured out how to make an argument for abortion rights that sounded libertarian. Because they were like, look, yeah, we're in a Republican yeah, right. state. This is about freedom. This is about autonomy. Like, they figured out what language they needed to use to could divorce this issue from party politics. Yeah. And what they found is that the language of freedom resonated with people there. And so they won that vote by a huge margin. Yeah. That's something that I feel like Democrats could be using to their advantage in other ways if they yeah. were using their brain cells to think about it. <laughs> but instead, so many of them <clears throat> think that they're still in an era where we have to pretend we don't actually support abortions, even though they're technically legal. Right. Like so many of them are using talking points that justify these bans, essentially. Yeah, right. And yeah. so like they need to stop doing that. Yeah. In any case, let's talk about California. Let's do it. First of all, Rick Caruso spent millions of his own money to just die in shame. I was going to say goodbye forever. I know I was talking to somebody about that the other day. They were like, what do you think he'll do now? And I was like, oh, probably literally nothing. I mean, I'm not, it's not just, he's got all the, he'll own them all. I was going to say, keep building malls for sure. I mean, he's going to build all the malls that he can. Never going to be away Um, from a But I don't think that after spending that amount of money on an election to lose in a landslide to Karen Bass, who like, barely, we we ultimately decided we didn't even really like that much as the race went on. Exactly. uh, I like what, what path to any like local, uh, but to any a local election do you have? Yeah, I mean, I think he he tried to Bloomberg his way in, and it yeah. turned out that people were savvier than that. Also, I don't think it hurt that people in LA right now are are really on one politically in a way that they have not been ever in my time in the city. Like people in LA right now are like showing up at public comment periods. People in LA right now are talking about the sheriff's race. People in LA right now are excited to have a young controller come into office. The controller's race had more votes than like right off the bat on election day than any of these fools. The person who got the most votes in a citywide race was Kenneth Mejia. He got more votes than Karen Bass Running for an office nobody understands. And he ran for it knowing that if he just educated the public as is as a campaign tactic yeah. that that would be something that would appeal to the to the the LA voters who are on one right now and that is exactly what happened yeah i mean this is a man who literally got that many votes by putting up billboards with graphs on them showing how much money we were spending on the police department that's right yeah so like <laughs> la voters are not and to pictures be, of him with his corgis i mean too cute <laughs> la voters are not to be trifled with at the moment and no. so i feel like i'm not surprised that rick caruso was i'm not either uh, 
No. That we said goodbye to him. No. But interesting. Let's talk about, oh, sorry. Go I was going to say the no. prop results. Yeah, let's talk about the props because they are really interesting. Yes. And, and none of them were really close, but like when you look at what passed and what didn't pass, it seems like maybe there's just like a broader trend that you and I love because yes. we have been raging against our, at least California's uh, ballot initiative system since we both started voting here 20 yeah. years ago. And um, California voters are currently like, fuck all the way off. Yeah. There were strong yeses on, you know, the constitutional right to reproductive freedom, yep. on funding public school arts and music education, on pr- prohibiting the sale of uh, flavored tobacco products. Those were the only Those three the only yeses. that passed. They all passed with about, in the range of six to seven million votes. Yep. And then there were the gambling, the dialysis, and the sneaky lift props. And they strong all lost in major landslides. And the biggest landslide was I actually mean, Prop 27, which was the the um, online sports wagering outside of tribal lands, which was the one that was funded by no, this, you know, yeah, yeah, the, Draft yeah. Kings and all of those that became the most expensive prop that we had ever had. That lost 82 to 17. I mean. Blowout. People were guys. like, take your it, prop money and your commercials that I see seven of every single commercial right. break and, like, literally and go buzz down. the fuck off. And that's, we saw that even with the, with the kidney dialysis clinics, the, it was 68 to 31. I know. That was the other one that you just couldn't go anywhere without seeing a fucking ad for. Well, and I even, I know, friend. I, I voted against our own prop guide on that one. I, I told a few people that because they were like, send me your prop guide. And then I was like, by the way, I've I'm already filled out right. my ballot and I've, I'm I voted no on prop 29. But literally the only reason that I did it I, is because of the, the, the feeling I think amongst voters yeah. that we're describing, because I was like, what if dialysis clinics just continued doing what they were doing? And I didn't have to tell them what to do about it. Also, what if I didn't know what dialysis industry, (laughs) what the dialysis industry was up to? Because our prop guide said that you should vote yes on it because it was pro-union. And I don't even disagree with that. But I was also like, get get off my ballot. And this is something that we had said before where in the last election, we were like, we're just voting no on all future dialysis props. Fuck all of them. It doesn't matter who they support. And then we violated that in the prop guide (laughs) because I was just feeling ornery when we were talking about it in the prop guide. And I was just like, fuck these dialysis clinics and nationalize them. So I was on Uh, a nationalized DeVita You were on a a larger tear. I was on a larger tear to nationalize DeVita. Obviously, these props don't do anything. So like that didn't mean (laughs) anything. But so I voted yes on it. And then when Brent was like, I think I'm going to vote no on it. And I was like, oh, do it. (laughs) I was going to say. Just cancel my vote out. I want nothing to do with this stupid prop. I know. But none, none of these were close. Well, and the one none that really that. shocked me is the tax to fund the um, the the lift. Yes, problem. because even as written, if you read that, it, it sounds, sounds like, like we're it sounds like we're like single handedly solving all of the world's climate change problems. Yeah. So the and fact that that didn't pass is wild to me, and I think and it's lift just because spent tens of millions of dollars did, on but, it. But I think people were like really dialed in. Yeah. I really think that they. Agreed. I mean, there's certainly I think probably all Republicans voted no. On of course, that, but like but we're living in a post Prop 22 world where it sort of set off our spidey sense when we learned that yeah, Lyft was invested that's in That's exactly it. what happened. And so it was like, me and Brent were looking through the information about it as we were researching the guide. And I was like, why has so much money been spent on this? That was the first clue that something was wrong. I went and investigated it and I was yeah. like, the money's from fucking Lyft? And then I was like, a blanket no. I don't even care what this is for. <laughs> a blanket no. I just, just no to Lyft. Yeah. It's like, I'm voting against Lyft. Yeah. Like, Gavin Newsom did a big no on 30 yeah, thing, which was, I think, effective. But like, these, I think what we're learning is that it is possible to spend too much money on a prop. <laughs> and in the is. post-Prop 22 world, California voters, when they start to see that much advertising, are like, they fuck know something all the up. way off. They know something's up. Yeah. yeah. And I think that that should, 
change the way that we conceive of how we want to structure these campaigns so. in the future. I think that Prop 27 margin has to be a real red flag to anybody who thinks yes. they're going to spend hundreds of millions of dollars on a prop again. Yes. Because that, the final spending on that, you guys, oh. put Prop 22 to the saddest shame that you oh. could, and Prop 22 was so egregious. That was, that was a $200 million prop. A $200 million could like house and feed every hungry person <laughs> in California. It's like, what are we doing here? But Which is what Prop 27 claimed it was going to do, exactly. by the way. <laughs> Interestingly enough. <laughs> Interestingly enough. But I mean, like, I think that in that world where we all felt so bamboozled by the money last time, yeah. I think now California voters who are, like I said, they're on one. They're, <laughs> the California voters right now are not no. fucking around. But like, I think everyone was just like, fuck off of my television yeah, immediately. Yeah, totally. Get yeah. off my billboards. I yeah. want to find out who's playing the casinos. <laughs> I don't care about, right. you know, your fucking you know, tribal, uh, fake tribal prop that you're, because this, this right, one, wasn't. 27 wasn't even supported no. by tribes. It was just a pretend tribal land thing. Um, But like, the I think people were just like, I, like, it started too soon. Get out of my face. Yeah. Um, um, ULA also won in a landslide. Yeah. Which is good news. We're going to be taxing the rich. Thank God. Love it. Um, And we had some exciting and some not exciting city council things. Yeah. Uh, Mitchell Farrell lost. Yes. You go by quite Soto a, Martinez. Ended up losing by quite a... I mean, all the votes I are not know. cast, but that's... And has... Right where it's at right now, with a lot of the votes cast, is not that close. I mean, he really had his ass handed to him. Yeah. And that's yeah. that means that we have two DSA folks heading to right, City Hall. had already won... Right. Was already going from the primary, which yeah. went over 50%. And it's, we are slowly but surely flipping the city council. Yeah. In a way that should terrify some of these incumbents who have just been... Well, they'll you probably know. figure out a way to sabotage it. Well, I mean, of they, course. But they keep trying. They keep trying. I mean, I Nithya Raman panicked them to the extent that they tried to, like, redistrict the entire city and then also somehow still lost more ground. <laughs> yeah. So, like... I, yeah. I feel like the one sad one is that Mike Bonin is getting replaced by Tracy Park, who yeah. is like a law and order, like get rid of the encampments person. Yeah. I think what happened was in that district, they have a ton of encampments. It's near the water. I know. And I think yeah. that residents there were really responsive to the sort of like rhetoric, the law and order rhetoric that totally. she was, because they felt like their public spaces were being overtaken by encampments. And when I talked, I talked to someone from that district who I was like, you, I know that you think that the answer here is to just get rid of the encampments, but you have to have somewhere for people to go. Yeah. There's a bigger issue. It's a housing issue, and it's not a law enforcement issue, even though you think it is right now right. because your immediate problem with it is a law enforcement issue. But it was hard because the whole conversation in that district, yeah. you know, among homeowners especially, among people who yeah. didn't really understand the issue, yeah. was so skewed, and their concerns were so kind of immediate, but they weren't thinking about the consequences of them. So I think that that's... Something that we can maybe work on as we're thinking about how to approach, you know, some of these local races in California, we, there are some districts where we're going to have to change the way that we talk about housing policy to suit the sort of like red streak in the district yeah, a little I bit. Agree. And I think that's one where maybe we need to think, okay, how do we explain to people in this district why people are living in their parks? Well, this is, I totally agree with you. And, you know, I think that it, needs to be said and I think we said skirted around the edges of this a little bit when we were talking about you know the the drama at City Hall but I think that like there has to be some looking inward also because you know the the way that we have certainly there are a million different factors that have led to this right I mean yeah. some of it is pandemic related some of it yes. there's a million there's a million different reasons right but you know I think part of the reason why even Rick Caruso had a level of appeal that he did is because you know 
the, the situation that Los Angeles is in right now is because of a lot of like unchecked corporate democratic power. Yes, absolutely. And, and uh, you know, I, I find it I find it very interesting, you know, for the last couple of years, people have been like, you know, asking, everybody's asking all these, you know, mayoral candidates and city council candidates, like how they're going to fix homelessness and stuff. But like, nobody seems to ask, nobody's really asking the current city council. When was the last time you heard anybody ask Eric Garcetti what he was going to do about the homeless crisis? No, exactly. I mean, he's been the mayor for what, like eight, 10 years or something like that. I don't know how long, but I mean, like, you know, I, I just like, so I you know, look, obviously I would have voted for Aaron Darling, but like I, I, there's part of me that like sees why if you're living in that district and looking at that every day, you might want to vote for Tracy Park. Yeah. Uh, like, no, I think when that's, I think. I hate to say it, but part do of you know it what I mean? Like, is that nobody is filling in the messaging gap yes, with that's effective all I mean, policy. Right? I'm not yeah. saying that Tracy Park would of be better. Not. No, no, no. But like, I, I just, when you look around right. and you look at who no our city councilor is and you look at who our mayor is and you look at who is running the yeah. state government, you sort of like can't help but be like, well, let Rick right, Caruso. Right. Let's uh, you know, go. I mean, let's go and conservative. You, sh- you shouldn't do that. You would be you, wrong to do that. You would that be wrong because to it do would that. just be worse. Well, and they're doing a very Trump but, thing where they're making a very complicated problem sound simple. Totally. And that was something that I had to kind of explain. Like I was explaining to a friend who lives in the district, where I was like, I know it seems like Mike Bonin has not been effective because he's been alone, and you can't be effective well, right? when you're alone. Totally. But I and so he was like, so wouldn't it be better to have someone who like isn't alone? And I was like, not if they're not going to be trying. <laughs> right, like right. They, we're talking about the difference between trying and not trying. Yeah. We're not talking about the difference between probably no one's going to be effective, but it's better to have someone trying just in case than it <laughs> right. is to have no one trying. Yeah. So like what you're essentially signing up for is no one trying. And yeah. that's not good either. Um, or you're, you know, or you're signing up for cruel policy, which is really what Tracy Park stands for, is cruelty. Totally, right. And yeah. that's, I, I just don't think cruelty is how we well, get out of the, Caruso, of the housing right? cr- And that's what yeah, Rick Caruso stands for. And that's what Eric Adams, you know, like that's what, this, there's been a trend towards this, especially in big cities where the housing crisis has been growing increasingly dire over time. Yeah. And the, the cost of living is getting very high and there's already inflation and people don't really know what to do. Um, so this is like a trend that doesn't just exist in LA. It's just, right. it's been really bad in LA already. Already LA had a housing problem and right. now it's like much worse and also LA has so much fucking space also in New York City you can understand why there's a housing crisis because everyone's totally. packed onto a tiny little island together basically yep. like LA has the space for the housing so there's yeah. no reason the market should be working this way it doesn't make a lot of sense so I can see why people are like fuck this all let's yes, try someone new that's what I, right, which that's, is what you're saying right. yeah, that's um, yeah exactly so I feel like maybe on the left we need to figure out how to simplify our talking points about the problem right. so that we can point out why someone like Tracy Park yeah. is not the solution to that problem. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, that's, I think, I something that is difficult in, a, in, you know, where we've only been sort of eating away at the margins a little bit in some districts. It'll be easier now that there's going to be a few progressive members as opposed yes. to like one or Agreed. two. You yeah, know. yeah. In any case, maybe a girl lost, but got 60,000 votes, which yeah. is as of right now, anyway, showing, yeah. we'll end up getting more I mean I think that's pretty cool I yeah. mean like she's amazing I hope she runs for something again I would still recommend listening to that podcast yes like, absolutely uh, that where we, we did a great interview her because her. you know it was before the election obviously but like she's great yeah. so you know I think that amounts to like just shy of 30% of the vote like that's not yeah no she's not nothing she you got know? over I mean, 25% of the vote in, yeah. the, in my last check so yeah. I mean I feel yeah. like that I feel good about that yeah um and then we need to have a discussion about the Smith Garcia never-ending rematch. Christy Smith. We're talking Chris, about. Yeah, we're talking about Christy Smith and Mike Garcia. Right. We're talking about a race that, that's Katie Hill's old seat. We're yeah. talking about a race that never dies because Mike Garcia wins it every time. And then Christy Smith, here's the thing. 
she posted a long thing about how the D-trip basically abandoned her. And I get it. It's frustrating. Sure. The reason they abandoned her, though, is because she was a boring candidate that wasn't going to win. Going to win. And she was like, well, that money would have made a difference. And I believe her. Sure. Money always does. Sometimes yeah. it doesn't if you're Dr. Oz. But, um, but like... I believe that it would have been nice for her to have more money. Yeah. I also believe that someone else should step up and run in that yeah. district. You want to know what else would have helped her? Hundred, Having a platform. Hundred, hundreds of people in their 20s and 30s coming and door knocking for you because they wanted Medicare for all. That's right. Or or name any other issue that any may have issue. been of use to like have anyone decide that they wanted to help you, let alone vote for you. I right. mean, you know, like, I mean, this is a woman who like stands Doesn't for- Doesn't stand for anything. No. And she thinks that it's because it's it's the failure of imagination that we're seeing in democratic, you know, politics at the state level in a lot of places like New York State. It's the the sort of idea that you have to run to the middle in a district where some of the voters are in the middle in a district in a frontline district. And that's absolutely not true. Right. Because Democrats are Democrats everywhere. So your base, the people that are going to get their friends to vote for you, the people that are going to knock doors for you, those people want to hear that you have a platform. They don't want you to be in the center. Right. I think it's so dumb when Democrats equate frontline districts with moderate politics. Yeah. Moderate Democrats don't live in frontline districts. They live in fucking New York City and it's because they're rich, <laughs> you know, or they live here and they live in Brentwood and they theoretically want gay people to be able to be married, but they want their taxes to be low. Right. Rich people are moderate Democrats. Educated people who are too educated and have a lot of yeah. student debt, but didn't need to worry about paying it off because their dad was rich. Those are moderate Democrats. Yeah. Democrats who live in districts with real issues are fucking liberal, uh, progressive. <laughs> right, yeah. They're not liberal, sorry. I meant liberal in the old, yeah, you know, right. the old American version of liberal. Yeah. Uh -huh. But I mean like, so when we talk about how to win in those districts, we're not here to just talk about voters on the margins. Yeah. We gotta talk about what it takes to get your base pumped. Yeah. You know, because part of the issue is that your base doesn't show up for you. There's enough people to elect a Democrat in that district for because sure. Katie Hill was elected done, in that district. Right, yeah. So we've done it. In any case, it drives me crazy. Yeah. Um, oh boy. And then finally, West Hollywood. West Hollywood, yeah. And uh, we don't know anything. We don't know anything. And it's also actually sort of notably hard to figure out because those votes get, they get released when LA County releases like a new vote total like every day. But like we said, they're counting until December. But we don't know like what percentage of, like they might be done counting in West Hollywood, but right. there's no way to know whether they are or aren't because they just, the West Hollywood votes just sort of like come out in dribs and drabs when the when the county votes get released yeah. by the county registrar. So it's a, it's a little weird. I mean, there's still a lot of votes to be counted in the county, so I got to believe that like there's more votes to be counted right. here. And certainly every day that they update them, things change a little bit, which is why I have a bone to pick with the LA Times. That's right. Because if any local newspaper should know when it's okay to... Uh, report on make an announcement on who has won something it should be the la times because by the time that they wrote this article about how west hollywood was moving to the center which actually got me riled up i sent yes. it to you and i was like i gotta get the hell out Rightfully. of here because this is not the city that i signed up to live in uh by the time that it had even been reported the results were already different because yeah. basically you know we talked on this podcast a while ago but we got to pick three city council people and um it looked for all the world like two of the three that were going to get elected were either an incumbent or a former incumbent. I mean, Heilman had lost his election, I think, in 2020, right? right? So he's coming he's back. Permanently right? always coming back. Right. He's always coming back, right? He's been on there since the city began. Yeah. He was he's been of, on our he's podcast, been, too, if you uh, yeah, he has, care about him, right? right. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, and so it looked like it was going to be Lauren, Lauren Meester and John Heilman. And then the third spot had been flipping around a little bit. And so the LA Times took, you know, put pen to paper and was like, well, West Hollywood is now a conservative run city, essentially. Okay. Even though, so like, just, way- la- even though just last year we like raised the minimum wage to like $17 and also like, uh, decided to like defund the police. Also, Not really. We've talked about that on this podcast, but we're you, you know. talking about even in a world where only incumbents get reelected, it's the same incumbents who did all that shit last year. Like, I know that they're not who I want to be running the city because there are people farther to the left that I would like to see run the city. But, like, we're not talking about some swing to, like, law and order centrism. No. Like, get a grip. I know. And also, you know, like I said, by the time that that had even come out, there had already been a new vote drop. And John Heilman is now in third place behind Chelsea Byers, who was probably one of the most progressive. She was in the slate of sort of, like, three progressive that you know the unite here was trying to get the by the way that whole slate is in the top five yeah exactly and heilman is now in third place and he's actually only in third place by 21 votes ahead of zakiah wright who was another one of those progressives and every single time a vote drop comes out heilman moves down the list so my if i had to bet when these votes are fully done being counted you're going to get warren meester and then probably chelsea byers and zakiah wright and so two out of the three are going to be two of the most progressive people who were running in this race. So, like, the LA Times needs to get a hold of itself. But this is so classic of a big sort of, like, national totally. newspaper reporting on local... Yep. Like, the Times, Let's, the New York right. Times does this all the time. Totally. Where it's like, they... Oh, progressivism is dead. Progressive. They want to declare <laughs> progressivism dead yep. instantly. And, again, I want to remind you, we're talking about a race where the top six candidates include three essentially incumbents and three progressives and no one else. We're not talking yeah. about a race where there's a new conservative in the mix. Well, because the new uh, conservative um, um, uh, ben was Savage. Ben Savage, and <laughs> right. he's not in the top six. No, he's not. Ben Savage is not going to be on the city council. No. Yeah. So, like, we're talking about a race in which we either have the same amount of progressivism we've already had, which is not as much as I would like to see, but it's certainly better than most of the cities say, in this region. I was going to say, it's, it's about the most progressive city council that you're going to find someplace. Exactly. <laughs> right. So, like, that's... At, at worst, we stay the same. Right. At best, we get more progressive members. The person who was running to the right of all of these people is fucking Ben Savage, and he's not going to be on the city right. council. And John Duran, he's not. And John Duran, he's not. Right, John Duran's not going to be on the city council. Yeah. John Duran, though, has been part of city politics here. You know, like even he has been on the city. You know, sort of council like, when they were doing progressive things in the city council <laughs> right. when they were doing progressive things. Yeah. He has right. been part of city government at times where we've done progressive policy. Right, right, right. So, like, we are not talking about a move to the center. No. We're talking about no move or a move to the left. Yeah, exactly. That's all. That's it. So, like, get a grip, New York Times. Yeah, I agree. That you were right nice. to be mad about that. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, in any case, speaking of newspapers, you guys. So, Donald <laughs> Trump announces that he's going to run for president, which is, like, almost not news at this point. Because it's like, yeah, we know you're going to run for president. And also, I love how everyone in Congress was like, oh, I would go, but there's weather. Like, Matt, know, Gates Matt Gates suddenly, Gates like, couldn't make it. <laughs> But the New York Post is out for blood right now. And so so what they did, they did the pettiest thing that anyone has ever done in the history of newspapers in a way that just couldn't be more glorious. I mean, already they had a funny headline right after the election that basically was like, Trumpism is dead. Um, It was a Humpty Dumpty joke. They have the best headline writers in the business. And I'm sorry that I don't agree with them politically on most things. But there is like no greater headline writing team than the New York Post headline. The, The Daily News wishes that they could get to that level yeah. of greatness. In any case, um, they run as the bottom banner below the fold, like bottom, bottom mm. banner of their front page. Florida man announces he's running for president. Page 26. <laughs> then the then article the scr- is savage. the <laughs> sassiest article I've ever read in the New York Post. Yeah. And I mean in the New York Post, yeah. not in newspapers. But I'm, I'm talking about an already nonsense newspaper. It was so good. 
It was so good. So conservative media is sort of freezing Trump out in a really satisfying way. And I don't know if they think, like people keep saying to me that they're worried that like DeSantis is taking up the mantle and they're so worried about him. But I, first of all, I want to remind everyone that at this point, at this point in the presidential cycle, uh, we go through a lot of people that seem legit at the beginning and then aren't. Right. You know, we went, Jeb Bush was a front runner at this point in the presidential cycle. Well, people have been making that comparison, right? Because I, he was the so governor. Florida, he was right, the governor, the governor of, Florida. of Florida. So it's everybody like ask, you and know, talk to I Jeb said, Bush. Florida is on its own journey right now. So <laughs> I would not extrapolate anything about their vote to national politics. No. So I'm, I'm not, I'm holding on DeSantis and whether I think he's a real threat because yeah. he seems like such a buffoon. I don't know if I necessarily believe he can hold it together long enough to be a real threat. Yeah. And I know Donald Trump is a buffoon as well, but Donald Trump is like an entertainer. Yeah, and DeSantis is like a man who can't stand like a normal human. Well, and it's I... Like he's never seen his arms before. I, uh, <laughs> I also... Well, they, they both have that problem. They both have that problem. But is um, he trying to stand like Trump? I don't know. Trump's maybe. centaur stance looks right for a cartoon character, which is yeah. what he is. DeSantis looks like he's never been introduced to his own arms. I know. Um... I, I also think that, like, there's a very, very real chance that, like, those two could tear each other apart. I agree. To the detriment of the, the party, actually. I agree. Right? I mean, like, they were showing people waiting to get into the Trump rally stomping on pictures of Ron DeSantis. I, so, by like, the way, we got the, we got the greatest Trump nickname so far of the cycle. Oh, my God. Ron DeSanctimonious. You so guys. So good. That's his first good one in a while. Yeah. I'm really, I'm a little proud of him, I will yeah. say. Because he's been struggling recently with the nickname on the nickname one. front. That was a good yeah. one. Yeah. 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 Um, so in any case, hold a beat before you start panicking about Ron DeSantis. I am it's not like a literal nonsense person. Well, and the other thing that I think that like we will learn about him, and I realize maybe he is like a little bit more like broadly pulled together than Donald Trump. I guess I don't know, but like he will be. Look, if Democrats, if if Democrats were able to hold the House this yeah. year and improve upon margins in some places when th- it's a shitty out there as it is. That's because America has chosen that they don't like what this current Republican Party yeah. stands for. And probably, perhaps more so than Trump even, Ron DeSantis is the face of that. That's right. Ron DeSantis will be found out as too crazy to be president. He- I don't actually... And look, people said this about Donald Trump, so like, I mean, maybe I should watch myself here. But I mean, like, let Ron DeSantis be the nominee for president for the Republican Party. I just don't. He's actually too nutty. I really he's think he's also, too nutty. He is not a celebrity. No. Donald Trump. Well, he's not a smart person either. He's not a smart like, person. It's not like he's, he's going to go out there and like make Donald Trump look like an idiot because exactly. he's an idiot. Right. The two of them are going <laughs> to be tearing themselves apart in the lamest of terms. But we have to remember, Donald Trump was famous when he started running for president for something else. Yeah. He's a celebrity. He's an entertainer. Right. For being Ron a fake DeSantis, billionaire. Right. Ron DeSantis is not a fake billionaire. He's the ineffective governor of a state no one takes seriously. And that's <laughs> all he has to his name. Yeah. He doesn't have what Trump had, which was worldwide fame. Yeah. And also this sort of reputation of being a successful businessman right. to everyone outside New York City, even yeah. though it was all built on a lie. <laughs> but like, I, I just like, he does. he's not bringing to the table what... Trump brought to the table, but he is bringing the same deficits to the table. Yeah. So like everybody calm down for a little while. Yeah. There are so many crazier Republicans who think that they're going to be, because we're also hearing what's going to be the rise of Mike Pence, a man who looks like he is made of wax. <laughs> right. Like, know. you know, I mean, we're hearing about some of the most ridiculous people as if, that, as if they're shoe-ins. Chris Christie. Chris Christie. Chris That's Christie. That's our plan. <laughs> like you guys, let's not... Let's not take any of them too seriously until it's time to take one seriously. Yeah. 
I just like, I don't think our problem was that we didn't take Donald Trump seriously soon enough. I think our problem was we no, took him seriously immediately, immediately. And he didn't deserve any coverage. Yeah, I agree. He deserved to be the most also in, ready of also Right, I was going to say. Instead, he got all of it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So like, I don't think that that was ever our problem. I think that we misunderstand what our problem was, and that's a problem. Yeah. But um, let's take a beat on DeSantis. I agree. And let's move on to talk about the greatest week in Twitter history. Oh, man. Speaking of buffoons who have too much money. Um... You guys. Well, I think it was honestly, it was a, I mean, sorry, before we dive no, into no, the details ahead. of the story, but like, I do think that like, I think this was a week where a lot of people in a way that has really made me happy have made some decisions about billionaires. Yeah. That they're not that smart. It turns out <laughs> yeah. you can't work a billion times harder than someone right. else. You because can just Jeff be Bezos lucky. this week got an appropriate amount of um, ire, even though he decided that he was going to give away all of his fortune. That's right. Because I think he probably thought a lot of people were going to be like, oh, look how great and wonderful this decision is. And everybody was just sort of like... You shouldn't have that much money. Fuck you. You shouldn't have that much money. And also, like, who are you giving it? Like, you're just giving it to your own foundations. Like, right. uh, you don't get to decide how to... You know, I mean, it's like that whole... Yeah, that's, like, I mean, should... foundations are bullshit. Yeah. That's why we're winner-take-all truthers. Right. But I, I was interesting. Like, it was not just Anand who was out there winners-take-alling Jeff Bezos this week. I know. Um so I, it was like, I it, was a, if, it was a bad week for billionaires in a way that really gave me hope for yes. the future. I wonder if Anand Giordardis realizes that he's probably accidentally like changed the world in a way <laughs> that he can't easily trace to his own actions, but <laughs> yeah, is right. like just about the idea that validating everyone's innate sense that foundation funding is bullshit yeah. was like enough to like sort of prompt everyone's response to the, you know, it, it suddenly when, when you say you're going to give away your fortune, everyone's like, to who? <laughs> you, th- you get to decide what happens to all those billions of dollars? Why? Right. That what? you that you stole, stole from, from us? workers? Right. right. I mean, that's that's the thing. I, it's not that like, sure, I guess technically it's his money, so he can decide what to do with it. But like the no idea- No one deserves that much the, money. The idea that he got it yeah. in a way that was fair and square, I think is what people are finally starting yes. to question. And that is like, that's the, and that's the question, well, right? Well, especially like, because Elon Musk was able to buy Twitter with money he didn't have. Well, Right. I mean, yeah. it turns out rich people are being given money that well, is not did, money. And I think people are also just sort of like being reminded that like, because I think people like thought of him as like this, like, you know, genius. And it's like, he didn't even, he didn't invent Tesla right. either. Exactly. You know what I mean? And like, and also like he, much like Donald Trump, like had a, a nice kickstart from his rich parents. He's a rich kid. Uh, he's a rich kid. Who stayed right? rich. Who stayed rich. So like, this is a fucking bozo. Yeah. So like, let this burn. Exactly. <laughs> Even though I love it, that's what you and I, know. You and I were talking about. We're, this is sort of like we're having the, like this real like crisis of. We both. I, I don't know. I think think that Twitter is the best social media platform. <laughs> I spend all day every day on all Twitter. Day, every day. Certainly all day every day in the last couple weeks but, on Twitter. But I was going to say what else? I mean, it's the been destruction the most... of Twitter has been the most fun part of Twitter ever in history. Right, but also I love it so much, and I don't want it to go away. Exactly. <laughs> oh yeah, you and I decided earlier today that if we could just keep continuing. Failing. If it can implode forever. Forever, right. Yeah, I think Grant put it as like, can a bomb go off for all of time? Like, (laughs) it's just like, it's been, it's really delivered on its promise this, in this last few weeks in a way that it's never in its history delivered on promise. Like, I, Twitter should not be where we're going for serious information, of course. It's nice to have a place to check quickly serious information. But first of all, the blue checkmark chaos the, so good. The parody, like all of the mayhem that has happened since. Oh my God. Like Eli Lilly, like losing billions of dollars yes. because somebody made a fake account to like guys, say that they were going like to give away insulin. GameStop level fun. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then we have like Elon Musk just like laying off half the staff and then sending the rest of the staff 
an email that they have to agree to be extremely, extremely hardcore, hardcore or they're going to just have to get three months severance and leave on a Google poll. And nobody, and nobody, nobody said it. yes. <laughs> and then there was the day where everyone said goodbye to Twitter, but then it was just there the next day and it's been there every day since. I mean, and I think arguably the greatest moment happened yesterday when Elon Musk announced he was reinstating Trump and then Trump released a snarky video that he wouldn't, that he didn't want to rejoin. <laughs> And then there's this new scandal that I noticed today where a lot of people found that they were spontaneously following Trump when he got reinstated and had not been following him previously. And so his follower count, so they were posting screenshots of it to be like, what the fuck? Um, His follower count was 85 million at the time that those screenshots started getting posted. It's already down to 60. (laughs) So I don't know what's going on. And also... It turned out this this was the information that led everyone to start looking into who Elon Musk's followers are because this all, right. all started because he had a, a Twitter poll saying, should we reinstate Trump? And it turns out that 70% of his followers are bots, yeah. which, I mean, not shocked to that hear. The poll was very close, by the way, too. <laughs> well, I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and considering that all the yes votes were bots. <laughs> right, exactly, yeah. In any case, it makes you wonder if our public forums should be moderated by private companies. Uh, that's sure one thing it makes you wonder. Well, and that's the other but, thing that, you know, you and I have been talking about how much we love it. But I mean, like, you know... A lot of good has come from Twitter. Yeah. I mean, like huge social movements. It's a I great mean, like, organizing. Tool. I, I mean, like uh, overthrowing of uh, you know oppressive regimes have right. happened over yeah. Twitter. Arab you know? Spring so, I mean, happened like, on Twitter. So like it, it's not. It, it would it would be actually sad to lose Twitter. Absolutely. Not not just for me sitting on the couch during the day like doom scrolling. Like it would. It, it's just like no. Twitter it, has literally changed the world, and it's not even an app. It's not a platform that most people in the world are on. Right. But it's just, it's a news platform, essentially. And when yeah. you get down to it, it's a news platform and it's a way for communities to find each other on the internet. Yeah. And that's a nice thing. Yeah. I feel like we have gotten used to its existence and its format over time and that this is not the only way that we could have this kind of forum. Totally. It's nice because everyone's already on it. Yeah. But I suspect everyone's not going to be already on it for much longer. Yeah. Um, you know, I, already its credibility has diminished to the extent that I think even if Trump does go back to tweeting, it's not going to mean the same thing no. that it meant before because Twitter's not going to be credible. Um, and I think that that also means that we're going to have to find other forums to kind of communicate with these, uh, communicate with news and, you know, in real time and that kind of yeah. thing. And I'm sure that those forums are going to exist because yeah. Twitter didn't invent the idea of social media. No, it did not. Um, and, you know, already people are looking for alternatives to Twitter. But I feel like the real promise of a big public forum moderated by private companies was really this was the week that everything that twitter really is came to fruition yeah you know like where it was like all of the chaos that twitter really offers in the world (laughs) yes all happened at once it did so good and it was it couldn't have been more entertaining (laughs) this has been one of the uh, one of the most glorious last two weeks (laughs) in history on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. And I say that as somebody who I just downloaded my archive because I was like, oh, fuck, Twitter might um, go down. Yeah. I joined Twitter in 2009. Oh, wow. Did I, why did I know in 2009 to join Twitter? I remember joining Twitter and saying to my roommate at the time, what the fuck is this? <laughs> and he was British and he was like, oh, yeah, like all my friends in London are on it. And we like did not know what to do with it. Oh, my. 2009. Impressive. I mean, what a time. Yeah. I'm really cutting edge, you guys. I had no idea. Um... In any case, listen, Thanksgiving is coming up. So one thing that you should definitely know is that COVID is everywhere. And I know we say this on every podcast. And so that's <laughs> starting to sound a little bit like... Uh, like uh, strongly off. recommended mask, uh, indoor masking in Los that's Angeles right. again. They've already re-recommended masking in Los yeah. Angeles. Of course, now they only recommend it. And so no one finds out about it. I think they could go to mandatory, but like there's the level. The well, remember last time they were supposed to, they were like, let's not though. Let's not. Um, yeah. But 
in the midst of all of this, the Senate voted to end the COVID emergency. And yeah. you may think that's fine because you might be a person who's just like coughing in grocery stores to your heart's content. Yeah. But I just want to point out <laughs> that that is meaningfully going to make your life worse. Yeah. In part because it ends a lot of the, it, it ends our ability to freeze student loan payments. Yep. It ends, you know, it, it's going to make vaccines both harder to access and it's going to be harder for them to get research money, which means we're all going to get sicker more yep. because we're not going to have access to some of the cutting edge vaccines that we are already seeing. People in Britain are taking nasal vaccines. They're trying all this other shit now yep. and we already don't have access to that. Yep. So like, it's not going to be super fun when we don't have the COVID emergency anymore. Right. Just FYI, for all of you who don't think there's an emergency, there is, but like, you know, deal with yourself. Yeah. As my mom always says, she's like, I'll stop masking when I don't have a week where like five different people I know have COVID. I know. And that week has not come yet. No. And it's only getting worse. Yeah. More people are getting it. I know. Every second. But so one might wonder why we voted on this in the first place, considering well, that only 12 Democrats voted for it. Yeah. That, I was really annoyed by that because yeah. that was my first thought when I saw the vote. I was like, well, obviously all 50 Republicans voted for it. And... I just don't understand why we decided to take that to the floor. Biden has said that he will veto it. I'm hoping that he actually does. Yeah. But like what, I mean, as we know from the years where Democrats had the House and Mitch McConnell was the speaker in the, oh, but the House hasn't even voted on it yet. No, the, the, so this originated, it, it originated in the Senate because I was about to do my whole it thing was, where it's like the House, like the Senate didn't have to pick up the House bill, but the House hasn't voted it. No, it originated Roger in Marshall the from Kansas is who proposed it and it's right. originating in the Senate. So the but House they didn't, they didn't has have not, to vote on it. No. Like Chuck Schumer could have told him to buzz off. That's right. Which is what he should have done. But instead. Because he didn't have his caucus. We're going to name every single person who voted for it because yeah. those people deserve to be shamed. Yeah. And some of them, none of them are that Weird, but some of them I was a, maybe a little surprised Right, about. like Liz Warren is not on this list. No. But right. like some people I'm like, you could know better. Right, like Chris Murphy is though. Yeah, like, mm. Like why? I know. Yeah, he anyway. wants you to pay your student loans back? He went to Williams. He should want this student <laughs> loan relief to extend forever. He doesn't have <laughs> pay Williams style loans? Get a grip. In any case, yeah. here, here they are. Listen, Mansion and Cinema. who knows Obviously. what to say about those two. Mark Warner, John Hickenlooper, mm -hmm. John Tester, Angus King, also I don't independent, trust, right. independent. Chris Murphy, though, what's that about? Yeah. Tim Kaine, who has fucking long COVID. Yeah. Like, get out of town. Um, Jean Shaheen, mm -hmm. Jackie Rosen, Amy Klobuchar, fuck you. Um, yeah. And Catherine Cortez Masto, also fuck you. Like, you guys, don't be voting for this. No. Don't have voted, don't have had a vote to have on this. Yeah. Don't do anything. Yeah. The only, there was one Republican who did not vote on it. Ben Sass. Ben Sass. Isn't that weird? Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but he didn't vote at all on yeah. it. Yeah. He you know, was just absent. I guess. Well, it's like a million. It's fine. Um, in any case, then there was a mistaken uh, yes vote uh, recorded for Schumer. For and Schumer. then Schumer was like, no, wait, no, not, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know what that was about. Um, but like, this is where we are going to remind you of Brent's uh, previous <laughs> comments about John Tester. <laughs> well, I just, yeah, I mean, look, you know, we're only going to have 51 votes in the Senate at at most. So Mansion and Cinema still themselves can kill everything. Yeah. But even when we were talking about like, you know, when Biden was like, just send me two more senators and I'll be able to, you know, do all of these things. I, I just uh, like somebody tweeted, like, what's going to happen if we do send you two? I was like, we're going to have to learn who John Tester is. <laughs> and I feel like even though we're going to have 51 senators now where Mansion and Cinema could still kill things, I do think that like 
now that there's yeah. like one vo- a one vote pad there, we're gonna some of these other moderates are gonna have to come out of the woodwork and maybe like take a little bit of the pressure off of Mansion and Cinema. And like you and I have been saying this for years, so I didn't invent this necessarily. But like you know, there's there's enough moderates that regardless of what the count in the Senate is, that could, could kill any sort of you know anything that yeah. Biden wanted to do or not do. No, exactly. That's yeah. I feel like. Um, but just looking at his name on this list made me remember that, like you know, he's just as conservative as those other guys. But he's been letting them take the. <laughs> he's exactly. been letting them take all the heat for all these years. Well, as I mean, like there's a backlog of at least twelve of these fools, as we can now see, yeah. who will step into that role as soon as yeah, exactly. it's, as soon as they're called. As soon as they're called. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. In final news, there is a sinkhole situation happening in West Virginia. Sinkhole radio is back. Sinkhole guys. radio is back. <laughs> this sinkhole. A first appeared in June, and it was only six feet wide. Yeah. It is. They're now having to construct an 150-foot bridge over it. It's basically like eating a police station. Yeah. And it's been going on for months. It's now been sent to us. Grant sent it to us, and then my mom sent it to us today. So people are thinking of us when it comes to this sinkhole. But, like, is does did West Virginia come up with a genius new way to defund the police? They did. They absolutely did. Yeah. This is a sinkhole that started because of a drainage issue. And I don't know how, when it was only six feet wide, everyone wasn't like... Let's look into how to resolve this problem right now. <laughs> but somehow it's just like slowly growing and growing. Yeah. So if you're in West Virginia, I would check your drainage. <laughs> what? A, it's crazy. The I mean, pictures of this. I just love that it's yeah, the pictures. A, I would just love that it's eating like a sheriff's department or I know. police department it's or whatever okay. it is. <laughs> in any case, that's the news this week. Um, and We're going to dig into some more stuff that we yes. know that we left. We sort of hinted at the whole student loan situation earlier. I want to dig into what's going on with that. Yeah. We also had some crazy Supreme Court news this week. That's right. Uh, Alito seems like maybe he's been, you know, <laughs> selling Channeling in right. some uh, interesting ways. Uh, we've got we that. that. There was a shooting today, unfortunately. I know. Um, so we'll get into all that stuff, but we yeah. really wanted to dive Bring into elections. Election news. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, we have a good Thanksgiving. Oh, yeah. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.